0: Welcome to episode 88 of the Daniel Yours podcast with today's guest, Dr. Alan Bacon. Let's go. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. Joined here today by Dr. Alan Bacon. Alan, thanks for being here, man. I appreciate you. Hey, Daniel. Thanks for having me. For anyone who doesn't follow you on Instagram, I'm going to say this just in case you are too humble to say it about yourself. <laughs> I think I'm, it's safe to say you have the strongest meme game in Instagram fitness. Agree or disagree? <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, I probably supply memes to, to 50% of the fitness pros out there that reshare them. So I probably, I, I think that that's, that's not a bad claim.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Th- th- was that something that you always, like, do you do that just for fun? Because some of them are like, they're <clears> hilarious, <throat> first of all, but they're also like, they really make me think when I, when I watch your stories every day. So, um,
1: you know, a lot of it was just personal enjoyment and, uh, and I run a Facebook group where, um. I think that fitness can get – talking about fitness can get a little bit repetitive, right? And, you know, we go over a lot of the same topics and um, there's a lot of things that aren't that complicated. I mean, they're pretty simple as far as the base recommendations to general public, right? You know, if you want to lose weight, you need to be in a calorie deficit, those kind of things. Now, obviously, there's nuance throughout that. But, um, you know, if you are with a group of people that follow you around and you talk to a lot, you get the the general gist of things pretty quickly. And so with my, uh, with my fitness group, one of the things that we do to keep things fresh is is we post memes to each other and we have a lot of fun in there. And, uh, and it kind of started that way to where, um, you know, this was a thing that we could do on the daily to interact and, and keep the fitness conversations going and everything like that. But I think it's also a really good way to, um. To convey information because a lot of people want it spiced up a little bit. And, um, you know, when you talk to coaches, you can get kind of bland and and into the weeds, but most people don't want that. And, uh, and I find that, that memes are a good vehicle to be able to explain some harder concepts or to be able to explain something that people probably should know, but, um, you know, talking about it outright might be boring for them. So I found that it's a great way to not only connect with people, but to be able to express some messages and, and some information.
0: Yeah, like we've said so many times and we alluded to this before we started recording, but like there's only so many messages and each way that you say it might click for a different person. So I might say Absolutely. "Be in a be in a calorie deficit. You might say eat less calories than you consume. And we're saying the same thing, but the words that we yeah. use are different, maybe the expression on our face was different or, you know, whatever the 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 way the person received that message on that day based on something that happened in their morning was different, like who knows. But berating these well, not messages only, in like funny ways can kind uh, <clears throat> you know help it stick help it sink in.
1: Well not only that but um but um uh, reinforcement of those messages is a good thing too. Because people may hear it one time and it kind of like leaves the leaves your, your your mental head space and then um and then over time if you see that message over and over and over again in different ways it can become more memorable and stick with you. So I think that the that the reinforcement of those patterns is always a good thing too.
0: Yeah. And and this is going to be a, a very cheesy and almost forced segue. But when we're going to talk about habit change, as far as like, you know, all the health and fitness goes, repetitive or repetition is certainly part of that. Habits don't change mm-hmm. in an instant, right? We need to be, they need to be reinforced. They need to be practiced. They need to be consistent as I'm always hammering home about being consistent. And so it's just another, you know, the memes or however we all choose to share information differently is a different way to speak to several different people and, you know, continue to keep those messages fresh in people's heads.
1: Yeah. I mean, habit changes is, is interesting because, um, I think that particularly when people are new to fitness and they're getting into things, it is something that's kind of in the back of their mind and they don't really focus on. And I think that coaches, especially, um, you know, some of the more advanced coaches really find that that's probably the most important thing that you can possibly work on, which is one of the reasons that I wanted to talk about it. You know, if you can always give a person a, um, a diet or a training program that they can follow for, you know, a certain amount of time and they can get results. But if you haven't been working on those, um, those habits or that, that daily lifestyle habit change, it's going to be something that's going to fall by the wayside once they're, once you're done with your coaching. Um, and so I know for me and for many others, habit change is a really integral part of the way that we work with people and I've seen that you talk about this a lot um on your instagram page as well um but I think that addressing it can be really difficult for people because they don't always know it it's kind of a a mercurial topic right it's it's something that's like, okay well, I've got habits, but how can I um understand them how can I address them you know what are the what are some of the ways that we can work towards that and um I found that there's a few different things that you can understand that can make that a lot easier for you. And so that's one of the, one of the things that I wanted to talk about today was how to make this easier for people so they can, um, have success long term and, uh, and make it a lot easier on themselves. You know, fitness is not an easy thing. We talk about it as being relatively simple and it is, you know, losing, losing weight is, is, this is reductionist, but losing weight is about taking in less calories than you burn. Um, but just because that's simple doesn't mean it's easy. And so I think that when we're looking at, um, starting a healthy lifestyle or working towards a healthy lifestyle, um, you know, the common things come into play that are, are basic principles that are easy to understand and good to understand, such as, um, you know, avoiding liquid calories, moderating condiments, staying active, um, uh, restful sleep, veggies at each meal, all those kind of things are great. And I think a lot of people understand them whether or not they put those into action or not. Um, Once you understand that, um, I think that it's really important to focus on the fact that food itself, there's no inherently unhealthy food. And so when people talk about, um, you know, I eat clean or, um, or, you know, I avoid junk food, I think that that's a a problematic mentality to have that, that can also cause some unwanted habits. You know, this is where people get into the, um, I'm going to have a cheat meal type mentality. And I think that that's, that's can be problematic from itself and it's caused a very polarized um viewpoint i think particularly with with coaches you know and we used to hear people talk about um if you've been around since the 90s which is which i have if you used to see coaches they would talk about eating you know fish and rice cakes or chicken and broccoli and uh, and rice and that used to be the um type of meal plans that people would push out And so what ended up happening was in the early 2000s, we started talking about having more flexibility. Um, you know, the IIFYM stuff started to hit the scene and, um, coaches, I think made a mistake, made a mistake here. And it wasn't moving away from the, the broccoli and rice that was the issue. It was the fact that we kind of went in the total opposite direction. And so when IIFYM became, really popular. We started talking about how you can fit anything you want into your diet and, um, and you know, as long as it fits your macros, you're okay. And that really wasn't the purpose of IIFYM. And so what evolved from that is the saying, and you might've heard this before is, you know, just have a donut and then get back on track. And I think that that is a, um, is a worthy end goal, but I think it's problematic in that it is without context. It ignores the individual. It ignores um the, you know, the, the necessary coping mechanisms that a person should have, you know, the skills that a person should have, or it just ignores the fact that people are in different situations. You know, so you could <clears throat> be talking to one person, you could say, Hey, just have a donut and get back on track. And if this is a trigger food for them, they might have two or three donuts and, you know, go off into a binge and then have you know, this, this really dreadful feeling about themselves, you know, why can this coach say this to one person and they're successful. And then when I try to do this, I have these issues. And so I kind of view this as telling a person that has a, a gambling problem, just play one hand, a blackjack, mm. you know, and and we would never look at that as being a, um, uh, a, a smart thing to tell somebody, but we see this all the time with coaches online and, um, and, you know i think that this sets people up for failure or worse um like i alluded to earlier people could blame themselves um for not being able to control a situation that requires much more information than just have a donut and so like i said i don't think that it's a uh, a bad message to send but i think that without nuance it's a problem and so this is a this is an end goal that we should be working towards, but it's not the way that we should be, um, we should be putting out this information. And the reason that I'm bringing this up and contextualizing it this way is because, um, I want people to understand the difficulties that they're going to be facing when they are working towards habit change, because this is so much more than just change your habits and then you're okay. You know, this is a very complicated topic and there's a lot of things in play and particularly to point, you know, towards some of these difficulties that people face. Um, there are challenges that obese people face that the, you know, normal weight or normal intensive people don't face. And uh and the the research has been pretty um pretty obvious about this. I mean, Kevin Hall did some work with the NIH where he looked at weight loss and uh and maintaining weight loss, and uh he found that for every kilogram a person lost, they have an extra drive for a hundred calories of food per day that a person that didn't lose that weight doesn't have. So if you are 150 pounds <clears throat> and there's another person that's 150 pounds, but they have gone to 150 pounds from 250 pounds, they're going to want to eat more food than you are if you've never lost that weight. Um, and on top of that, food doesn't seem to satiate people in the same way if you are obese than if you are normal weight. And, um, and so, you know, how do we, um, how do we address habits as best as possible, understanding that there are people that have different needs, um, you know, and particularly in, in obese people who are fighting a bigger challenge than people who are normal weight and trying to maintain weight or, or lose a little bit of body fat, you know, so this is a very complicated topic. Um, and, uh, and understanding habit formation and, uh, and how to address that is Probably the best way to incorporate sustain these new practices to keep you going because you are going to be facing challenges that other people don't face. Now, I don't know if, uh, when, when you've worked with people, if you've seen, um, some of these issues play out in person, but I know that when, uh, when I work with people, you can certainly find that the more weight that we have to lose, once we've lost 30, 40, 50 pounds, all of a sudden, it becomes significantly harder. Whereas, if you had a person, you know, if you have a person that starts out at 300 pounds and they get down to 230, they have a harder time than a person that started out at 240 that gets down to 230 and then needs to continue going on. And it's because likely they probably feel a lot more hunger pain than somebody else.
0: Yeah, I think there's you know, also so just, this is a go ahead, go ahead. Go
1: on. Well, I um, think that this is the type of thing that that these people don't realize and they think, oh, you know, I've stalled and, and I'm doing things wrong now when what's really happening is they're starting to, uh, they're starting to move less and they're starting to snack more.
0: I think one thing that is often missed is like the length of time that it took to get to that person who's 300 pounds. So even if you get down 70 pounds to two thirty in, let's say a year, which would be incredible, but say you did that. But you are, you know, 35, maybe 40 years old, and, and, you know, you've spent a lifetime up until then, however long your life is, 35 to 40 years of being at that size and eating in that way and having those habits that led to that result. So changing them, it's always easy to do things. We can always do things for. A short amount of time, anyone can do a six week diet challenge, or when the potent, when the potential for change is so great when you are three hundred pounds, well, as you you know lose more weight, the potential for change there's less body fat to lose, so the things that you yeah. need to do need to need to change the intensity of that you know whatever it is that you're doing. Needs to continue to increase so that you, the same thing that got you from 300 to 230 is not going to get you from 230 to 200. And and you can use that. You can use that yes. across the board, even in yeah. your bench press. The same thing that brought your bench press from 100 to 200 is not going to bring your bench press from 200 to 300. Otherwise, like there would be people walking around with you know 2,000 pound squats because it would just be that, it would be that easy yeah. right so the, the length of time is something the length of time that it took to get to that point where you decided to make a change compared to the amount of time that it takes to offset that change is i think something that we need to m- just make people more conscious of
1: well i like to uh, yeah a 100% and and i think that that's one of the reasons that people get frustrated like you said there's a lot of good points that you just made here one um you're going to be the most motivated that you ever are in the very beginning of a program because you were motivated to start that program. You know, you're motivated to, to get going for some reason. So motivation is obviously there. And um, and again, the reason that we want to talk about heart, habit change is because it's going to keep us going when motivation is essentially non-existent because it's at certain points, motivation may be non-existent. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't have a commitment to why you want to do something. But, you know, that, that boost of feeling of like, yeah, you know, I, I'm really getting something out of this or I really enjoy this may go away. Um, But more to your point, one of the things that um, that um I like to explain to my clients is I call it leveling up. And so you were talking about how the farther along you go in a process, the more that you progress, the harder it is to continue to progress. And that's 100% true, whether it is gaining in a bench press or whether it's losing body fat. And like you said, it's because in the beginning, you have a larger potential for greater gains. Either you have more body fat to lose and you can – you know, part of the way that I say this, but you can kind of fuck around a little bit. If you're 300 pounds and you want to get down to 200, let's say that that would be like a, a healthy weight for a person of your height. <clears throat> you have a little bit more calories to screw around with because, um, you know, a, a relative amount of 200 calories from a Snickers bar is going to be much less for a 300 pound person than it would be for a 130 pound person trying to get to 120 pounds. I mean, it might be. 10% of that of a smaller person's daily intake, and it might be 3% of a bigger person's daily intake. So, you know, having a candy bar may throw you off a lot less when you're that much bigger. And so in the beginning, you may be able to um have those kind of things and then still see progress in the amount that you want to see progress. So you feel okay about it and you forget that you had done that at that time period. And then, you know, six months down the road, all of a sudden you weigh 40 pounds less and uh and you know, you're having that candy bar and then you're not progressing and then you get frustrated with yourself and you're like, Oh, I'm plateaued. Well, you're not really plateaued. You're, you're still doing the habit that was probably slowing you in that beginning period, but you didn't notice because you had a larger margin of error. Um, and now all of a sudden it's affecting you. And so, you know, the same thing with, with, um, with, uh, with gaining stuff, with gaining strength in a bench press, you know, in the beginning, you're going to shoot up five pounds, maybe 10 pounds if you're a, a naturally strong guy, um, every week or two. And then all of a sudden you level up and you get more experienced and then you are gaining five pounds every month. And then you're gaining five pounds every three to four months. And, you know, it, it, I see this every time with, uh, with clients after they've been working with me for like a year, um, we'll start out and they'll have these really big jumps. And I do a lot of things where I progress my clients. I don't know how you program, but I progress my clients. I, I usually hold a, um, I either do a double progression where I'll, I'll progress very slightly in reps. Like a, I'll say, get 10 to 12 here and then, you know, move the weight up as much as you can. And we use RIR reps and reserve to, um, identify proximity of failure. And so their main goal is to constantly move that weight up as much as they can week to week. Now, sometimes that means one set. Sometimes that means all four sets, but they'll find that in the beginning, they're moving it up, you know, all four sets, they've, they've just gone up, you know, 10 pounds in their bench press from one week to the next. And they're like, okay, I'm doing what I should, I should be doing. And then three months in all of a sudden it's just two of the sets out of four. And then it's one of the set out of four. And then all of a sudden they're not doing it for three weeks at a time. And so then they'll say, Oh, I've plateaued. No, you haven't. Um, you know, this is, this is the natural progression and, uh, and understanding the fact that there's a natural progression in both, um strength gains and and body composition gains like you talked about with a person losing weight that absolutely happens um and um you know during this whole period working on those habit changes is what will keep you going through those periods where you have leveled up and uh and you know where the general population will say I'm stalling when you're not actually stalling you're just more experienced now and you don't realize that you're more experienced and that this is what life is like now um, and so that's why this, this habit stuff is so important because you're going to need something to lean on. Um, when motivation isn't as easy to obtain as it is the first three to four months. And like you said, you can do anything for a short amount of time. And for me, anecdotally, I found that for most people, it's about three months. People can force themselves to do things for about three months, you know, and I see this all the time when I have people going into a building or a bulking phase bulking is the hardest thing possible (laughs) for people in general. And it's hard because, um, most of the time, um, people have a little bit of body fat. And so they either lose body fat, and then we go into a build, you know, get into a a more normal range of body fat. And then we'll go into a build afterwards to build muscle, you know, stage the way that we do, um, training. Cause most people say that I want to lose fat and build muscle. Um, and, um, you know, once they've lost that body fat seeing some start to creep back on which is almost inevitable in a building phase i mean i don't care how many times people use the word clean bulk you are never actually you're never actually in a calorie surplus where you can gain no body fat yeah it it doesn't happen now you can minimize it and maximize the amount of muscle that you can gain and there's certainly ways to do that but um you know the idea of a clean bulk where you can only gain muscle just it's not realistic it doesn't exist um outside of You know, you're, you're on steroids or, um, you know, you can gain significant muscle if you're obese and you're losing body fat and you're, especially if you're new to training, you can gain significant muscle. But outside of, you know, or if you're coming back from injury, but outside of some of those rare situations, um, you know, you're going to gain some body fat and that's okay. And these people will, will become very self-conscious about the fact that they gain a little bit of body fat after they've, it feels like a setback because you've just lost so much, you know, and so, to the point of uh, people can do anything for a short amount of time. I find for like two to three months they're okay with this, and then they you know will pull the trigger and say, okay, well I need to lose body fat again. But then you've just gone through these two to three months where you're just barely starting to put on muscle mass because building takes a long time, um, you know, natural building takes a long time, and uh, and they pull the trigger, they pull the parachute cord, and they're like, okay, well I want to cut again, and so you know this this idea of um of getting habits into play to be able to push through these tough times whether it's um you know changes in perception or your expectations from um leveling up whether it is um job or relationship stress or all these things you know life is going to throw something at you and um and you're going to be tripped up if you haven't worked on understanding habits and and routines and what what causes you to have your triggers for whatever um whatever uh cue that you do based on a, on the uh, the reminder that you have. Um, and so I think that the first part of understanding how to address habits is, um, is, is understanding the anatomy of, of a habit to begin with. And there's three parts. Um, habits are composed of reminders, routines, and rewards. And so as examples of that, you know, when, when we, initiate a habit that we do on a daily basis. We're given a reminder in some way. Either it is we're driving home and on our way home from work we pass a Dunkin Donuts and so we stop into the Dunkin Donuts or even worse maybe we go out of our way on the way home all the time to <laughs> pass that Dunkin Donuts. Um or maybe um you know when we're sitting down in uh to watch TV in the evening um we have you know a a bowl of Butter popcorn or whatever it is. You know, that's sitting down to watch TV is your reminder because that's the routine that you've built into your daily play. Uh, or so that's a reminder that that has built that routine into the daily play. So you get the reminder, you sit down on the couch and that says, oh yeah, I usually eat popcorn right here. The routine is you go and you make the popcorn and the reward is you get to eat the popcorn. And so once we understand um, the anatomy of the habit, we can actually start to evaluate the uh, the situations that we're in and we can make some changes to those habits because we understand that, okay, there's going to be a reminder in some way. We don't typically just go off and, and, you know, binge on certain foods. There's a reminder in some way, either it's one of the situational things that I talked about there. Um, you know, it is the food environment that we're in. Uh, and you know, you've talked about this before and and you've certainly seen other people talk about it. You know, if you've got a box of cookies that are in your pantry and, you know, every time you go to make, dinner you see that box of cookies that's a reminder and that's a trigger or you know watching commercials on TV you know food commercials on TV are are really big in this kind of thing and so there's always a reminder of some kind that is triggering either um unproductive habits that we have or um even good habits that we have so we adjust those reminders as best as possible to lead to the um the the good habits that we're trying to foster or we change the routine that we have the response that we have to those um to those reminders and so understanding the anatomy of habit can really help a whole lot in the situation so usually what i'll do is after people can understand the reality of the uh, or the reminder of the habit or understand the the situation of the anatomy of a habit um talk about how we can evaluate our daily routines to kind of figure these things out. And you can do those through three more R's, which is a great thing to look into, um, reflect, replace, and reinforce. And so the first thing is is reflecting. When we look into this, um, reflecting is taking stock of all the different routines that we have in our, our daily lives. Um, and good ways to do this is through things like a food journal. Um, I don't know if you've ever used food journals with people before, but when for the, for the, um, people that are listening to this, if you've never worked with a coach that has used food journals, you will mark down the food that you eat and be conscious of what was happening in the hours leading up to that food. You know, and this could be a main meal. This could be a snack. This could be an emotional thing that you've had, but by jotting down notes about what was leading up to that, you can start to gain an idea of, um, you know, what was causing me to have this meal? Was it breakfast? Okay. Well, that's, that's good in a normal, a normal type of meal. Was this, um, you know, a donut that I had after work? Well, I'm having it every time I go home after work, or I'm having this bag of jelly beans every time I get stressed because of my boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever it is. But by making those notes of what was going on, you know, in the hours leading up to this, you can start to get an idea of what that reminder is that, um, that starts to trigger the foods that you're eating. And so there's, two ways that you can deal with those, um, with those reminders. And, and, um, one of them that we talked about two main ways that you can deal with those. One of them that we talked about was, um, adjusting your food environment and whether that means getting certain foods out of the house, um, going a different way home from work, or even if you have things like, like cookies, putting them in the back of the freezer, you know, if they're in the, they're in the back of the freezer, it, it's beneficial for a couple of reasons. One, you're generally not going to see that a whole lot. So that reminder, that cue is not in your daily life. Um, and, um, it takes some time to thaw anyways. So it gives you a little bit of time for that, that, uh, that craving to kind of subside. So there's, a, there's a bunch of benefits for that. And that's what I will typically recommend for people that have kids, because when I talk about, um, adjusting your food environment for people with kids, they're like, I can't get rid of cookies because I have kids. And, uh, and so that's something that you can do, um, to help you out there. The other thing, if you cannot adjust your food environment is to, um, to do habit substitutions. And that's the second R is is replace. So we start off with, um, with reflect, and then we go to replace if you can't, uh, adjust your food environment. So that's where you alter the unproductive habits. And this is changing that, uh, you started with a reminder and that's changing the, um, the routine that you do. This is changing that, that response that you have to that reminder. And that could be something like, um, Having, you know, non-fat Greek yogurt instead of having the cookies that could be, um, you know, again, changing the way that you go home or instead of having buttered popcorn, you have, you know, popcorn with light salt on it instead because popcorn itself isn't that high in calories anyway. So having a moderated, you know, amount of popcorn is a great thing. So changing the way that you respond to those reminders is probably the best way for most people, in my opinion, you know, go for a piece of fruit. And there's always that, that test to decide whether you're actually hungry or whether you're doing this emotionally or it's a craving is would an apple work to solve this craving that you're having? If the answer is no, then you're not actually hungry. You know, and so this is a good little test. And then the final R for this is reinforce. And, um, and so habits take time, you know, and, um, I think I remember there was a study that the typical thing that people say is it takes 90 days to change habits and i think that that's just a completely arbitrary thing that somebody made <laughs> up because it, it was it was probably good for selling a training program yeah um but when when people looked into it, it the actual time frame in a in clinical research was between 18 and 256 days now i don't bring that up to frustrate people but i bring that up to say you Might get this quicker than 90 days, but if you don't get it quicker than 90 days, don't be frustrated because reinforcing these new habits are how you will break through and, um, and, you know, give yourself that, um, ability to have this run on autopilot. I mean, essentially what you want to do is you want to change the way that you do things on the daily to move you away from the unproductive habits that have not brought you towards your goals to pushing you towards your goals instead. And it does get easier over time. It might not get easier over time in 90 days. It might take three times that long. You know, and and that can be frustrating for a lot of people. But what I want to do is I want to take this from a point of empowerment. This is a this is a taking control type situation. And if you know that not getting in, in 90 days doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with you, that's a great thing. You know, and so you can realize that okay, that this might take longer. And and if you know from the outset that it might take that long, that's when you can um that's when you can prepare yourself and say, okay, that this is a process that I'm going to be dealing with for the better part of this year. And I know that I'm going to have to force myself to go through this. And I know that I'm going to have to, you know, set scheduling reminders in your, in your phone, you know, go to the gym, prep your food, don't eat donuts at this time. Um, you know, and, and that can help you break through that, that type of um, roadblock to get to the point where you can just have a donut and it's fine. You know, and all of this is working towards getting you to that, just have a donut end goal. And so, you know, if you're making a reminder that says, don't have, um, don't have this to eat at this time period, that doesn't mean that you can never have it, but it does mean that you may not feel like you have control over that choice at this time. And what you'll do is you'll reevaluate this in a month or two or three and say, okay, well, now that I've been working on this for this amount of time, can I bring a donut back into play and make a conscious choice to have this and be okay with it and if the answer is yes good then you've made that conscious choice have it and then just have a donut and get back on track you know but this is the way that you break that cycle and get to that just have a donut instead of feeling powerless of that over that situation and saying you know i i don't really know how to do this the um the 120 pound um instagram model Is telling me to just have a donut. Well, clearly she doesn't have a whole lot of donuts and that's why she's 120 pounds. (laughs) Her body doesn't have that same kind of drive. She doesn't have those same kind of, um, one, she probably doesn't have the same kind of hunger cues. Two, she probably doesn't have the same stress response that you do. Three, she doesn't have the same environment that you do. You know, she's living by herself in Los Angeles on Instagram, you know, trying to become Insta famous and you have three kids. So you've got cookies in your house and now they're maybe in your freezer, but they're somewhere around. And so they're giving you these cues. And so what you're dealing with is completely different. So give yourself the best chance possible to put these things on autopilot for your situation. You know, and this is a, um, this is a, this is a very difficult thing. And, and I think that understanding the anatomy of the habit and then understanding, okay, well, I need a step by step process to go about and evaluate myself. And, um, and how I can make these adjustments and understanding that there is this reminder that is triggering these things, whether it's an emotional feeling, whether it is your daily routine. Um, and then there is your routine response to it, to get that reward that you're going for understanding all of these things can say, okay, well, this isn't just me not having, um, any say in my situation. It is things that are happening. And I've got a set response to that, and there are ways for me to change this response. And whether it is controlling your food environment or um, putting, um, you know, substitutions in play, you've got some areas to be able to adjust these things so you can work towards that goal that you've wanted to work towards.
0: This is why I love That's the. A,
1: it's a fun long spiel
0: on that, right? It's a <laughs> that might be one of the best the best <laughs> monologues on habit change that ever grace the internet. <laughs> But I, I, this is why I love, there's so many many things you said there to to unpack, but uh, it's why I love the food journal so much because it draws so much awareness Mm -hmm. and consciousness to what we're doing. I I find that, Mm -hmm. you know, with myself and with clients and other people with regards to our food and our, you know, fitness habits and everything else in our life, so much of it becomes unconscious. You wake up at pretty much the same time by the same alarm clock. You do the same thing in the morning. You do the same route on the way to work and you do the same. You know, you click your pen three times. A, a baseball player at the bat hits the hits the, the base twice. A basketball player dribbles the ball three and a half times, you know, whatever. Like, yeah, these are things that are just unconscious habits that that we do. And we're, we're not even we're not aware of them. That's why they're unconscious. But drawing awareness to them is like, oh, hold on. Maybe I shouldn't do that. Or like, I didn't even realize that I had a bag of chips every single night, but because I had to write it down, it's not about the guilt of like proving it to my coach. Mm -hmm. It's about, I actually just didn't even realize that I was doing that and I should probably stop doing that. And this is why I use it. And I'm sure partly of the way, the, the reason that you use it with clients is like, for the most part, especially with people who have a lot more weight to lose or a lot greater potential for change, they look at that food journal and it's like, oh, I should just do this. And it's like, yeah, that's a great place to start. One, because if they yeah. said it, then it means that it's a low barrier to them. Maybe taking the cookies mm-hmm. is like a, that's a no-no for them, but they can get rid of the chips or they can get rid of the, mm-hmm. the the Coca-Cola at dinner. But but you know we'll work on the cookies later. But if they said, oh, I should probably drink a little bit less soda. Okay, then let's start there. And yeah, you, there you now know that you should do that. And you came to that conclusion on your own rather than me, the coach, forcing it, quote unquote, on you. And this, again, speaks to that empowerment aspect that that you mentioned where... It's a positive thing. You are choosing to do this. It's not being imposed on you because I don't think that that works. And that is the reason that some of these 90-day, three-month programs do work. One thing, and I'm sure you've realized this as well, like everything works. If you take an untrained person and you give them like a pretty shitty workout program, they're going to get stronger. You take an 18-year-old boy Mm -hmm. who's never lifted weights before and you make him walk three laps around the gym, he's going to get stronger. That's just how it works, right? You take a a very obese person and you make them have one less soda per day, they're probably going to start losing weight. It doesn't really Mm -hmm. take all of that much when you have a lot of potential for change. And so that's how things start to work and then we get excited about it, but then it stops after a while that very low stimulus stops working. And this is where the habits come in because this is what happens. This is how we get that one year after picture, that five year after picture. Anybody can do a three-month mm-hmm. transformation. Can you do a five-year <clears throat> transformation? That's where really the magic lies. And that's where all of this habit stuff comes in.
1: Yeah. And and I think that you you uh, brought up something really important there. Um, you had mentioned that you know maybe you can't get rid of the I don't remember which one you said. Maybe you can't get rid of the donuts, but you can get rid of No, you said you can't get rid of the Coca-Cola. You can't can't get rid of the cookies, but you can get rid of the Coca-Cola. Yeah. I don't Um, remember it. But yeah, different one.
0: (laughs) Um
1: the the point there is um, you know, incorporating gradual change can be what some people need. I've had very few people who can be like I'm just not going to eat like all of these things anymore. And it's my choice. And I've actually had a few and they're, and I'm like, you don't have to do this. And they're like, I'm doing this. Like I had like one guy who's like, I'm quitting smoking right now. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> I was like, well, well, how about like we, we, you know, lower each, each week. And he's like, no, I'm done. And he was just like done. I was like, that is the most willpower I've ever seen. Um, but <clears throat> you know, they're incorporating these changes gradually is fine. And, um, I think for most people, particularly for, for obese people, it's probably the right choice. I mean, this is a, this is a choice that you're going to have to make for yourself. And, um, and anything that you can do to move towards a healthier lifestyle is probably a good thing. So if, if, um, these food diaries help you become aware of the daily choices that you're making, and you can identify a couple that are probably not as productive as you want, um, then make a list. And determine which is going to be the easiest to, uh, move away from, which is going to be the hardest to move away from, and start with the easiest. Start with two or three, you know, and, and, um, and knock those out. And then in a few weeks, if you are feeling good about yourself, add another one in, you know, remove that one or whatever it is that you're doing, um, and, and move forward that way. And you will see progress by doing that. But the, the, the important thing is that, Um, coming from an area of control, taking control, being honest and realistic is, is where we want to go with this. And, um, it's much better if you're the one saying I choose to have water instead of Coca-Cola, than your coach saying you can't have Coca-Cola. Now, if you can't do water, do diet Coke. I mean, we're going to really get into the weeds here with, uh, with non-nutritive sweeteners and the, the. Debate around those, but I would, I would stress that people should look at Cambridge's uh, position stand in 2019 on, uh, on non-nutritive sweeteners, artificial sweeteners. If you have concerns about artificial sweeteners, it's the single best write up on the internet. Um, you know, and it's, it's scientifically backed in research. So if you've got concerns about this, but my point is, if you can't go to water do something like a uh, like a diet coke or get um you know mio those water flavoring packets or something like that i mean all of these steps that you can do to to lower your calorie intake because um the potential issues with things like non-nutritive sweeteners are are very low and the potential benefits are immense when you look at the difference that, that can make in um in daily calorie intake and then the health benefits that can be made from losing excess body fat Um, you know, and again, I, this is one of those, one of the more controversial topics that we could get into and and spend an incredibly long time talking about. But, you know, if you've got questions about it or you're like, you know, I saw this guy and he said that it's going to mess with my insulin or it's going to, it's going to, you know, give me cancer. Go, go to Google, type in Cambridge, type it, type in artificial sweeteners, non-nutritive sweeteners, 2019, and and read that for some easiest way to respond to that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, for some people, it's certainly the right move. The thing that I like. And and you kind of alluded to this a little bit earlier. Is I, I have a trouble accepting, seeing things online where it's like, drink beer and eat pizza and still lose weight. And it's like, okay, uh, yeah. people are already drinking beer and eating pizza and they're not losing weight. They don't <coughs> need to be encouraged yeah. to to do that more. And the same thing as like the Diet Coke. Of course, less calories, like aside from everything else, whether someone is for or against artificial sweeteners, like leave that separate. But did you really break that habit? You just traded regular Coke for diet Coke. And so if that, if we, if you want to increase, you know, the amount of water you're drinking or change that habit totally, maybe that is a step along the way, but is that really the end goal? That's, that's where I kind of have trouble here. It's like having two, having one slice of pizza is better than having four slices of pizza, but maybe the, the real end goal is like, don't feel the need to have pizza so often.
1: Yeah. I mean, that is the real end goal, but the, the, the thing is it's not looking at it as, um, at least for me, it's not looking at it as, okay, well, I can get Diet Coke and then my my journey's over. It's, um, can we make moves towards a less problematic choice? If we can go straight to water, go straight to water. I mean, there's no coach in the world that's going to tell you that that <laughs> uh, the majority of our intake should be from water. Let's, let's put it that way. The majority of intake should be from water. How can we get to that point? And once we've gotten to that point, can having an occasional diet Coke or an occasional slice of pizza or two? I mean, for a guy my size, having two or three slices of pizza is moderation. I'm <laughs> 230 pounds though. So if, if, you know, having that instead of like a whole pizza, uh, given whatever situation, if, if I'm trying to like lose body fat or, or maintain body fat, um, will that having that occasionally increase my total overall adherence rather than feeling super restricted? If that's the case, then yes, that's a great choice. Does that mean that I should be having this, you know, two or three slices of pizza every day? For most people, the answer is no. So how do we move away from that exorbitant amount of whatever it is that's, that's potentially not as nutritious and either minimize that, um, or strategically use that, um, organically to make us more adherent to what we're trying to achieve, you know, and so, um, so, you know, I, I really don't have a, personal reason to vilify like diet cokes or, or a couple slices of pizza you know as an individual choice but again like you said it's got to be part of an overall nutrition plan and, and if we're getting our nutrition and we're staying um you know with a varied variety of what did i talk about in the beginning you know uh lean proteins veggies that kind of stuff and following those generic healthy lifestyle habits um as long as we've got those covered and um and then use um life as it comes organically to make some decisions on more indulgent foods, I think that that's perfectly fine. And what I mean by that is, I touched on this slightly earlier where I hate the idea of a cheat meal. I hate it. I hate when people say cheat meals because it puts you in this mentality of one, you're cheating, which is a negative action. Two, um, that whatever the foods that you choose have to somehow be like quote unquote junk food. When, you know, going outside of your normal choices of food could be something like you know, you probably don't have sushi daily, but maybe you have sushi. Is that a junk food? No, it's not a junk food. Um, you know, it, it, there's a ton of nutrients in it. Is it, is it going to meet your calorie goals? Maybe, maybe not. Um, but I think that, um, that when people look at this as, as using these more off their normal choice meals organically, that's when you really start to succeed and and don't feel, um, restricted at all. You're making your own choices and you're using these off plan meals organically. And what I mean by that is look at your upcoming month. Um, note the, uh, events or things that are going to be happening. Okay. So we've got October. Um, I've got a birthday for a friend that I'm going to this Friday. I've got Halloween coming up. I've got, you know, uh, a work party on like the 23rd. Okay. So what's important about these dates to me? I don't care about my work party. Those people suck. My friend's nice. I like him. Halloween is the best holiday. Okay, good. So I've got my priorities list down, right? So then you say, okay, well, I know that on, um, my friend's birthday, I'm going to indulge. I'm going to have a couple drinks. I'm going to have, you know, some buffalo wings or whatever it is on Halloween. I'm going to have, um, you know, some candy. So I know that I have these days coming up where I'm going to indulge. Okay. Well, that can give me the drive to stay more on to my goals and onto the habits that I'm reinforcing on those other days. And I think that the problem that a lot of people have, particularly with the cheat day mentality. Is they'll say, okay, every Saturday I'm going to have this, Mm -hmm. but then Saturday comes and Friday was your friend's birthday and Saturday comes the next week and that Monday is Halloween. And so now you're, you're, you're not incorporating these indulgent days organically to where they make sense, to where you're enjoying life and you're, you're using this as a celebratory thing to, you know, enhance the rich enrichment of your life. You're doing it because you're now just feeling restricted and feeling obligated to just have some junk. You know, and, and I think that, um, that when you start to view this as, okay, well, maybe what would help me is looking at this upcoming month and then planning these things organically, that can help reinforce the rest of the time where you can say, well, I don't feel restricted because I know that this weekend I'm going to go and I'm going to, you know, have fun or, you know, and, and so what I find is that when people, when people have this kind of cheat meal mentality and don't plan ahead, then they, um, start to look at things in the moment and that can be problematic because that can be very emotional. And so, you know, that's where you get caught with Deborah from HR bringing in, you know, a box of donuts into work. And you're like, well, I got to have these donuts. But if you were thinking, well, this Friday, I'm going to be going out. I'm going to be going to my friend's birthday party. So I don't really need a donut right now because I'm going to enjoy myself there. Then all of a sudden that becomes a thing where you're like, I don't feel restricted because I know that I'm going to have. Um, you know, this enjoyable experience. And I'm just choosing not to do this right now because this doesn't meet my goals. And I think that having that foresight and and planning can be a really good way for people to get around these obstacles.
0: Yeah. It comes back to to an awareness thing, right? It's just understanding that like, like, hey, I, I these things are going to happen. There are going to be natural things that happen in the course of your life that like, yeah, you're not going to go to your best friend's birthday party and not have a drink or have some junk food like that. Like that would not yeah. be a, a great existence. So don't let that. I mean, you can choose on. that, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. but you, you probably, but if, but if you choose that.
1: that, that, then that's your choice, you know? And right. so feel empowered to do that. But that's why looking at this, you know, things ahead of time, whenever possible, I mean, things are going to crop up where a friend's like, Hey, do you want to go out tonight? And you're like, okay. But You know, then you can think, okay, well, if my friend wants to go out tonight, I already looked at like my upcoming month. What else do I have going on? Well, I don't have anything for two weeks, so okay, I'll I'll enjoy a little bit more now. And uh and you know, because I know I don't have anything else going on. So this works in a lot of different ways to your benefit.
0: I think the other thing with the cheat meal is it's a strange psychological thing to me to reward yourself for good behavior by behaving quote-unquote, poorly with the thing that you're trying to offset. It's like, oh, I did so good at yeah. not eating junk food that I'm going to give myself junk food. It doesn't... like mm-hmm. Something's off about that. If you had a different reward system for yourself, I think that that mm-hmm. might be a little bit more powerful. Maybe you, you buy a, a new t-shirt or you take yourself out for to to a concert or so, I don't know something like that. That's something that you enjoy. That's like- something
1: that something that either well, like what you're saying, something that either enriches your life in some way or helps you be more productive. So if yeah. you are going to reward yourself, how about a new pair of gym shoes? Because yeah. you get a new pair of gym shoes, you're like, man, I want to use these in the gym. And yeah. so there you go. You've gotten your reward and you're reinforcing that that thing that you're trying to do. Or like you said, a concert is a great idea because that's a stress relief that's an enjoyable thing for you that's you know and and so these things are this is like this is a great way to view things because um you're changing um you're changing that that habit you're changing the reward portion of the uh of the of the habit structure the habit anatomy yeah
0: there the, you the, go. the other the other the <laughs> other uh yeah it's just it always seems it always seemed like weird to me that we celebrate with this and even that we celebrate with with unhealthy food why is it part of all cultures, like every you know, my family is Greek and Italian. Every single holiday has like there's six cakes on the table at the end. Why is it why is that a thing? I don't know. <laughs> but why do we why do we use so much so much food and so much food that is like so calorically dense to to celebrate. And it's probably just because of the massive dopamine hit that we get from this. Right? It feels great yeah, sure. to overindulge. But it also feels great to go to a concert or go out with a friend to to a movie or to you know do whatever other fun stuff that is for fun in your life, you still get that dopamine hit. So I'm not sure that it's necessarily the food that we're craving. It might just be the experience of sharing that food with family, or sharing that food with your friends, or going to McDonald's and feeling you're treating yourself. But if you bought yourself a new pair of shoes, would you also feel great? I think that in most cases, whatever that thing is for you, the answer would be yes.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that I think that that's another thing that you can really help to to focus on when you're um, when you're looking to reinforce these behaviors is that um, when you go out to spend a, a night out with friends or family or whatever it is, make it about that interaction with them rather than about the food. And I think that the whole, the whole cultural thing about having those more indulgent foods at those meals was because typically you would not eat those when you're outside of those situations. You know, it was a special occasion. So this is where you get cake. The problem is that's not what 21st century life is like because we just had cake for breakfast, and so <laughs> this is this is problematic in that our um in that our celebrations didn't change, but our actual lifestyle did change to incorporate these foods that were traditionally just for special celebrations. And when they're for se- special celebrations, they're perfectly fine in moderated amounts. Um, but the fact that our daily lives Consist of these things. I mean, what the hell is cereal? It's literally just candy at this <laughs> point. You know, like I had fruity pebbles like two days ago. And so what was I, you know, it, it was that really the right choice. Maybe it was at the time, but like, um, you know, our, our, and this is another thing the food diaries are really good for because they kind of give you an idea of like, what the hell was I doing? Yeah. And, um, <laughs> you know, you can see all the different things that we, the intake on in our daily lives that are, are more, um, indulgent type choices than they are um, highly nutritious.
0: I think another aspect of it is also the, the emotional response to those foods. Oftentimes I'll find that people Mm -hmm. will eat something that they eat something they know that they shouldn't be eating or eat too much of something and they feel poorly afterwards, either physically or psychologically. But then the next time that comes around, they, they still do it again because they didn't really register that they felt poorly. But the food journal is like, okay, record what you ate. Tell me what you were doing leading up to it. And then also like an hour later, tell me how you felt about that meal. How did you feel just generally? you feel like crap every time you yeah. eat those fruity pebbles then maybe stop doing that right if it if
1: it inspires guilt there's there's a problem there because if it's if it's triggering guilt, then the real issue there is that you don't feel like you had control over the situation. There's not a situation where you choose a food that that you feel in control over that choice that you feel guilty about afterwards you know and, and just like preparing where um By looking ahead to the month ahead where you're like, okay, well, what's important to me on these dates? One of the things that's, that's really helpful to avoid these feelings of guilt in these situations is, um, okay, so say you're going to go out with your friends and you know that there's going to be drinking involved. We'll make a choice of how many drinks that you're going to have before you leave the house, you know, and then, um, this is a conscious choice. You're making it not in the moment, not emotionally, um, involved and stick to it, you know, even write it down because writing stuff down really reinforces the way that we do these things. Um, but when you, when you make that, that conscious choice and you have control over the situation, you don't feel guilt afterwards. You know, there's no situation where you go out and you say, okay, well, I'm only going to have two drinks tonight. You have those two drinks. They, people offer you a third, you say, no, thanks. I'm, I'm good. And, uh, and then you stick to it and you go home and you're like, man, I'm really sad that I had those two drinks. You don't, you don't feel that way. And all of this goes back to that sense of control, you know, and, and just like the anatomy of habit, you get a reminder. And when you're talking about, um you know, like having something indulgent and then feeling guilty afterwards, you're reminded in some way, and maybe it's the stress that you've just perceived. And maybe you had a hard day at work. Maybe, um, you know, you're having job or relationship stress or something like that. And, um, you know, you, you reach for, um, a box of cookies to make yourself feel better. And initially you do feel better until you're at about your third cookie. And then you continue eating, even though you're building more and more and more guilt, because it's not a, it's not a, um, It's not a controlled situation. It's not, you don't really feel like it's your choice. And so that is just a learned response. And when you look at, um, all of the research that, that goes over this stuff, emotional eating is a learned response. It's a hundred percent a learned response. It's not a genetic response. And, um, and there might be, you know, some genetic precursors that may predispose you to learning this a little bit quicker, but it's a learned response. Now, the reason that I bring that up is because this is good news. Just like it could take a really long time to learn habits, but you can learn habits. This is good news because if emotional eating is a learned response, if this is the way that you deal with stress, it can be unlearned. Now, just like, um, just like uh, quitting smoking or quitting gambling, um, you know, this could take some time, um, it's, it's okay that it can take some time because it is possible for every person to unlearn these habits or replace them with something different. And that's where you go to the adjusting your food environments. So if you know that, um, you know, you have a box of cookies at home and you've got a stressful job and every time that triggers you, you go home and you eat the cookies, get rid of the cookies, um, you know, or, or put them in the back of the freezer or whatever it is, or replace that and say, okay, well, when I have a stressful day, because I've looked at my food journal, I know that I will often go home and have those cookies. Well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to, um, have a bag of a change of clothes in my car. And if I've noticed that I've had an, an excessively stressful day, I'm going to immediately go to the gym and run for 20 minutes. You've now broken that cycle that you had fallen into that you had learned to deal with your stress and you're rechanneling that into something else. You what know, so it- there's, there's a ton of different different ways to do this um uh, but it it all goes back to understanding that anatomy of a habit and um you know reflecting on this and and then learning from what you're doing and just being honest with yourself and you know the the real key here is making sure that you're keeping those notes in your food journals about that emotional response because that has so much to do with this
0: one of the the most difficult things about fitness and health that i found is that it's all up to you you are in control of fixing it and no one else can do it for you. But by that same yep. thought, the most beautiful part of it is that you are in control of it and you can fix it. Nothing else can, yep. there are things that will make it more difficult, but it's up to you. So if you can fix it, then that's great. That's something that you can do. There's nothing to worry about. There's, there's some quote and I don't remember who it's from or what ancient civilization it's from, but it's something about like, if you can do something about it, then great. Don't worry about it. Just do whatever you need to do then, about then it. Make the change. And, if, and if you can't yeah. do something about it, then don't worry about it because you can't do anything about it and it's the same thing here like you can get in shape you can take yourself to the gym of course easier said than done you can take yourself to the gym you can eat healthier you can do all those things but you have to do it and that's the, the you know the the beauty and the curse of it but i think if we again frame this in a positive light and and empower ourselves to be like no i'm in control of the situation i'm aware of the situation now that i've been journaling and paying attention to my to my thoughts and habits and actions and emotions Now I can do something about it to change this in a positive way in the way that I want to, to get whatever results is that I want to get.
1: Yeah. And I mean, the precursor to being able to do that is something that this is also important, really important to be said. Um, You have to take responsibility for your situation. And one of the biggest barriers to people, particularly to obese people, um, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of issues that, that obese people have that, that it's out of their control, you know, and, and they certainly lead a life where there is, there is obesity stigma. And, um, you know, having some empathy for obese people is really important because they're going through things that a lot of people aren't going through. Mm-hmm. Um, on the other side of that coin, obese people have a, not just obese people, but anybody that wants to change, um, any aspect of their life, you, Need something before you're able to take control. You need to take responsibility for your situation because ultimately it's probably on you that you're in that situation. Now, is, is it entirely your fault? And are you on the same playing field as everybody else? No, you know, and particularly for obese people that maybe you grew up in an obese family and your parents didn't know anything about, um, you know, healthy food choices and you grew up eating certain foods. And so you really had not a lot of control over, um, you know, the habits that you built over time. Um, taking responsibility for your current situation is extremely important and it's not a negative thing. And this is, this is where people really, I think, get hung up a lot of the times and get defensive. Um, and why a lot of people have problems getting started because they don't take responsibility and they don't look at taking responsibility for their situation as a positive thing, but it is mm-hmm. a positive thing. And, um, and, you know, you could say, okay, well, I'm where I am because of some of the things that I'm doing outside of like really rare instances where people have like a massive untreated thyroid problem or something like that. In most situations um, there's something that you're doing, whether it's conscious or unconscious, that's getting you to where, where you are. And so saying, okay, well I'm doing something um, and I might not know how to correct that. And maybe that's why I get a coach, but the fact that I'm doing something means that I can change what I'm doing and, and start to improve. And so before you can take control, you have to take responsibility for where you are. And um, and um, like I said, the big key point here is not viewing that as a negative thing. You know, you're not saying this is all my fault. You know, woe is me. It's OK, well, I've done something, but now's the time to take control and I can correct this as long as I identify what I'm doing and then I can work towards changing that you know so this is this is an extremely complicated topic uh you know and that's why you can talk so long about it but uh but you know the psychology of this is can be very daunting for a lot of people
0: one thing i've also often thought about is a lot of people a lot of people who have a lot of weight to lose or who need to make a big health healthy lifestyle change I almost feel that they would be better served working with a psychologist than a personal trainer or the local personal trainer at their gym, the personal trainer can certainly be part of it and extras and all that stuff is part of it, but there's a yeah. lot of like deep seated like stuff that's going on in their head and in their heart that is underlying all of this stuff. What do you think about that? I, I do that with my own clients. Um, so I actually think
1: that, um, you know, and you know that I have a medical background to begin with. So, um, so referring out or a, a, an umbrella of care was always a part of my, um, coaching because I, I had different training beforehand, but I think that, um, a lot of trainers get a little bit scared of either bringing that up or, or doing this, but I think that you have the exact right headspace there. I think that there's a lot of people, particularly, um, you know, in the, in the obese demographic that there might be some either psychological trauma or emotional issue that you need to work through. And again, this is not anything that is embarrassing or, or anything like that. And having a psychiatrist in on, um, on that can be very, very beneficial because you might need your coach. Your psychiatrist is not going to set up your nutrition or your training. So you might need a coach to set up the nutrition, and the training to get you moving in the right direction. Um, but these emotional aspects and psychological aspects should also be addressed. And so um, there have been many times where I have, um, you know, been working with a client and I'm like, you know what, let's get a psychiatrist in on this as, as an adjunct to care uh, because they're necessary. And, um, and you know, the di- most difficult thing as a coach is bringing this up to somebody and making it not seem like an attack, hmm. you know, and and because I think a lot of people will take it as an attack, like, Hey, you've got, you know, like a mental issue, but it's not really like that. I mean, the good thing about it is that, um, that, um, uh, mental health care is, is taking a turn in the past, like 10 years to where it's much more socially uh, acceptable. And, um, and I think that any coach that can get a relationship with a, a psychiatrist that works with disordered eating um can be a, a very very good thing um you know disordered eating and and potentially um you know dealing with emotional stress but yeah you're 100% right i think that this is something that a lot of people need
0: yeah and and it's good to it's good to have these conversations about it to open it up because it's not, it's, again, it doesn't need to be framed in a in a negative lens. It's not that there is, quote unquote, something wrong with you. It's just that you need a little bit of extra help. Mm-hmm. The same way that you come see a personal trainer, it's not because there's something wrong with you. You just want help with that thing. So if you have an issue with, with food or if you want help with changing your habits, then there are people who do that thing. It doesn't necessarily have to be negative, Right.
1: Well, you're still doing the work, but these people are providing the, um, the roadmap to, to get there, you know, just like a coach. Um, I always explain it to people like we're a GPS system, you know, we can't cook the food for you. We can't do the, we can't lift the weights for you, but we can give you the map to get there. Um, and that's kind of what like a psychiatrist would do in this situation, you know, and, and, um, could you as a person look all this stuff up online and then formulate your own way to kind of deal with it? Maybe you can, you know, the same way that I could look up stuff and become my own car mechanic. But is that, um, is that a good use of my time? I don't think that it is, you know, and would, it, would it be a better use of my investment, my money and, and, you know, my time to get a professional that already knows what they're doing so you can cut through. You know, three months of me trying to research this and, and struggling along the way. Yeah, absolutely. Do that. And then when you run into problems that you didn't foresee, you've got this professional that probably already knows the answers or at least where to get the answers. Um, you know, and and that's the same thing with hiring a coach. You know, could you, could you figure out how to work out and eat correctly online? In most cases, yeah, particularly working out. That's usually easier to find. Um, yeah, you can, but, um, but you're, hiring somebody because it's an investment in saving you time. It's an investment in saving you research and headache and stress. You know, if you're told, okay, well, this is what you need to do. Just focus on that. How much stress does that relieve from you rather than, okay, well, first I need to look into double periodization. Then I need to learn linear periodization. (laughs) Then I need to learn, um, you know, conjugate method Then I need to learn this method and I need to figure out which one's right for me. And then, you know, and so like, it's overwhelming. And psychology even more so. Obviously, psychology is is a 100 times more complicated than picking a workout routine. So, you know, if you're willing to hire a coach, um, you know, I think that a psychiatrist would be a, a great investment in saving you a lot of time and, and uh, stress.
0: Totally agree. It's like we don't even know the, yeah. the strategies or don't even know the, the things that we don't know about a new topic using your car yeah. mechanic example, right? I might be able to Google the things about how to change this part, but then there will be a problem that I'll run into that I didn't even foresee or, or have any idea that that could possibly be a problem. And it's like, oh shit, I took mm-hmm. my whole car apart. Now what do I do? Right. I can't keep Googling mm-hmm. this for forever. I guess you, you maybe you could, but how much time, how much energy and how much damage are you going to do along the way rather than, you know. seek out the professional who actually knows the answer to those questions. And it'll be simple things, even with working out. Sure. People have asked you this, like, well, what do I do with my hands when I squat? And it's like, okay, well, that's like, a legit question to ask, but like how many squat videos yeah. would you have to watch online before you figure out what you, the individual should be doing with their hands, not the, you know, 275 pound power lifter does with his hands on a squat, because that doesn't apply to you who is a 145 pound woman. Like that doesn't, that's not the same thing. So it's, yeah. it's, it's these well, little I, things I, that make a difference.
1: Yeah. And, and it's funny because, um, you know, I told you about the, the Facebook group that I run. I've got a, I've got a pretty large Facebook group. And so when I first started that, um, we do form checks for people if they want to, you know, just post up a video and do a form check. And I'll say, okay, you know, post it from 45 degrees from behind, blah blah blah, and I can, I can take a look at, and, uh, and help you. We used to have people come in all the time until I squashed this. We used to have people just post a video that says, um, you know, how to squat. But if the person is posting a video and they're asking for help, they don't know what to look for to like to make those adjustments. So giving them a blanket, like, this is how you squat type thing doesn't, personalize it for that person and, you know, being um, qualified to be able to identify, you know, the movement discrepancies in yourself is, is a whole other skill set in itself. And so just like you were saying with like being a mechanic, you know, if you're not a mechanic, you don't know what you don't know. And that's always the case in all of these, these things that aren't very intuitive. If you don't know what you don't know, um, you might be getting the wrong message out of those things. So having a professional that can, can detail it and say, okay, well, this is what you need to do is very, very helpful. And on top of that, um, you know, just like using queuing for adjusting a, a movement pattern, you might look at a squat form when you, when a client of yours sends you their squat and you might say, okay, well, I can see that, that this is wrong. This is wrong and this is wrong, but. I know that this one is the most important one. And if I adjust that, maybe these other two will alleviate themselves naturally. And so if they've got a video that's like, you should do this, this, and this, instead of just sitting, you know, instead of just widening their stance, and then all of a sudden that will allow them to keep their torso more erect. They're widening their stance and then they're driving their knees super wide and then they're angling their feet out and they're doing every cue to like affect every one of these issues that they see at the same time. And now all of a sudden they've fallen backwards in their squat when all they needed to do was widen their stance. And then all of a sudden they would have plopped right into the position that they would have needed to be in. And the other things like the knee cave would have, would have, you know, fixed itself or whatever it is. Um, would have fixed itself. And so, you know, taking this and saying, okay, I'm going to do all this by myself, particularly when this is psychology related is probably the wrong move because you may be, you may be introducing solutions that are appropriate for somebody else that might not be appropriate in your situation or at least in this stage of your development. You know, and so, um, so, you know, the, the good takeaway from this is, whether you're a coach that, um, that is seeing that this is an appropriate time for a client to have this, or whether you're a client that's saying, you know, I've been doing this food diary and I see that I'm having, you know, some emotional or psychological stress along with this and the, um, adjusting the food environment and, um, substitutions aren't working. Um, you know, bringing in the appropriate health professional to address those issues is, is the right call. And it doesn't mean that anybody's doing anything wrong. You know, if you're a coach and you're saying, um, and I find it like, um, newer coaches get worried about this stuff if a client comes to you and they 've got a need that you can't necessarily fulfill or you don't feel comfortable fulfilling refer out or if they've got a question that's like i you know what is what is it about this and you don't know it say i'll i'll you know i'll look into that and i'll get back to you There is nothing wrong with doing that and particularly um you know when you when you come up in medical one of the signs of a of a really good doctor or a sign of a really good coach is knowing when to say, hey, I'll get you that information or we'll get you somebody that can help with that in that manner. And the psychiatrist is one of those people.
0: Yeah. I've always always found it's kind of, it's like short-term business thinking. It's like, well, if I tell this client that I don't know or refer them to someone else, then I lose a client today. But what if you hurt that client or service that client poorly? And then they speak bad about you to their friends and you never get a referral and you lose that client anyways down the road. Like, wouldn't it be better yeah, if you, I mean, if you help the client to the best of your ability and maybe they do go work with another coach, but they refer you to the, their friends and whatever says, Hey, that guy was really good. Or that girl was really good. Go work with them. And they, you know, didn't, didn't have, they still remember that you helped them solve that issue, whether you referred I'm, it to them or actually solve it. So I think it's a better long-term strategy for helping people and, and for, you know, a trainer or coach's business. Well, there's always going to be more clients,
1: Um yeah. you know, and, and so there's, there's, I mean, there's always going to be more clients because there's so much shit information out on the internet. So when people <laughs> start to look stuff up and they realize like, man, maybe I should do keto or maybe I should do low fat, or maybe I should just not eat anything but protein. And, you know, there's so much conflicting information. There's always going to be somebody that needs some help yeah. um deciphering all that. But, you know, when, when people get really, um, concerned about answering these things. It's like, just think about what would be best for that, that person. Think about if you were talking with a coach and you're like, well, what about this? And they didn't know the answer. What would you respect more? Would you respect, Hey, I'll get you that information. Um, or would you respect a long winded response? People are going to know when you're bullshitting anyways, most of the time. No. Unless you're V shred, people yeah. are going to know that you're bullsh- bullshitting most of the time. And so, you know, if, if somebody, if somebody makes up a bullshit response, they're going to find out at some point anyways, so just do what's, what's best for the client. I mean, you know, if it's not being with you, it's not being with you and say, Hey, look, you know, I'm sorry that this, this didn't work out with us, but, but this is the way that it is. And, you know, I, I, ha- I've done that a couple of times with clients over the years. I don't do it very often with clients. Usually we can find solutions. Um, I did that more in medical where, where a person would either be, um, Either I have a complicated, complicated issue that I thought would be better under, under a different specialist care or, um, or, um, they, I just didn't want to work with a person because they were, they had unrealistic expectations or were very like aggressive. And, um, and so you're like, okay, well, you know, I'm just, I wish I could help you, but I'm just not the right choice for you. And uh, But here are some other people that might be able to help you. And if that's the case, that's the case. And for a coach, if you run into that, I mean, the, the fail-safe for you that's still a good recommendation. If you don't know other professionals, the fail-safe for you for those recommendations are, I would like you to talk with your physician and ask for a referral to a registered dietitian or um, – you know, talk with your physician and ask for a referral to an appropriate psychiatrist. You always have an answer for, for these problems. Um, but the, the important thing is that you put them on the path to finding that right answer. Um, because, um, you know, when you hit that wall, those referrals are, are the right choice.
0: Yeah. And again, it's just about helping people to the best of your ability for as long as you can, right? These, these habit changes Mm -hmm. again, you know, the V shred. Yeah. The program will work if you do nothing and you start exercising, you do V. I haven't even looked at the program. I'm sure it's like not great, but it's, you know, if you've never exercised before, it's probably not the worst thing ever. If you do that for three months and you've never exercised before, yeah, you might have some good results, but what about two years later? What about three years later? And then Mm -hmm. that's where like all of this habit change stuff comes in. And that's when you need someone who actually, knows what's going on because up to 3 months you may not have actually run into any issues and then you start to run into the oh I didn't even know that this was a problem that could happen and so that's where you know then it all comes full circle and you need to actually change what you're doing about your life rather than just following the next hottest thing online
1: yeah or you hit that level up period and now all yes. of a sudden you are ha- you're being forced to address those um those challenges that you weren't forced to address in the beginning um you know and that's where where things like like you said everything you know in the beginning Um, most things work and then you are, then you're, you really get a gut check, you know, after, after, you know, a few months and, uh, and it comes down to really addressing those habits, whether it is, um, you know, consistency adherence, um, you know, and, and and all those small things, but yeah, I mean, habit change from day one is key. And, um, you know, understand those, that, that anatomy of the habit, the reminder, the routine, the reward. So you can identify where those things are, keep that, um, keep that food and, um, you know, exercise journal. And sometimes the, the exercise log can be very, um, very helpful in identifying. I don't normally have clients put in, um, emotional feelings in their exercise logs, but say that you miss a session, make a note in your exercise log about what was happening and why you missed that session. And I say that because you know maybe your response to um to stress is withdrawing and you're like i'm just going to go sit on the couch and over time you can see that pattern and so making these notes and um and being able to identify these stressors and um and challenges that you face in life is how you can address them in the future
0: yeah and again we'll say it for the the nth time and and certainly not the last but awareness is is the big key to a lot of this if we make our behaviors conscious then we can start to Start to work on changing them, and and that's the that's the name of the game, I guess. Absolutely, Alan. Right. This has been uh, this has been awesome. I I, I know that uh, you you joined us very early from Hawaii, so I appreciate that. Um, this is one I think people are going to need to listen back to because there was a lot of things that uh, that you said that was like very very helpful, tangible information. So make bookmarks if you're listening to this. Definitely, you know, share this one with a friend, all that kind of good stuff. Uh, but Alan, is there anything else that you want to leave the people with here in, in closing?
1: No, that's it. I mean, I think that this is a great one to, um, to re- reference to when you're first starting your fitness journey, but also something that's good to look at over time to make sure that you're keeping these things in mind. Um, and if you do that, you're going to have some good success. So, you know, take responsibility for your situation, be comfortable in the fact that that's an okay choice to make and then take control wherever you can.
0: Beautiful. Well said. And thank you very much. All right. Again. Thank you, Daniel. What's, uh, what's your contact info? Just rattle it off. I'll put it in the show notes and stuff, But you're social media handles and website and whatnot?
1: Sure. You can go over to MauiAthletics.com, M-A-U-I, Athletics.com, and you can go down to the bottom of that. We've got all the links for the social media outlets there, so you can click on those and be directed right over to those.
0: Awesome. Alan, thank you very much. MauiAthletics.com in the show notes. Uh, Like, share, subscribe on YouTube, write and review the podcast, send this one to a friend because this is one that's going to help you and many others. Uh, From now until forever. So I appreciate you all at Daniel Yores on Instagram as well. And uh, take your shoes off, go outside, be a good person. We'll chat (laughs) next time.